Welcome, and thank you for pressing play. I'm Crystal Bergfield, and this is Back to School with Crystal Bergfield. Throughout history, great teachers have stepped forward to help show us the way to coexist in society. They have urged us to consider our role in community. Just like those teachers, I am offering up my knowledge and experience to contribute to a just, responsible, and innovative United States. Through storytelling, interviews, and in-depth discussions, I will dive into the issues that plague our society and highlight new ideas that could contribute to a healthy nation. This podcast is part of a larger curriculum to educate Americans about our society. Find your seat, take a breath, and prepare to expand your mind, your heart, and your reality. Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of Back to School with Crystal. This week's episode is entitled, What Are You Worth? I am joined with a group of regular Americans here today, and we are going to have a discussion about our value. Friends here in the studio, if you could tell me your name, your age, and what was your first job? Hi, my name's Amy. I'm 54. My first job was when I was 13. I cleaned uh, cabins and worked at a little store at a local resort. Hi, I'm Cassie. I'm 23. My first job was as an administration assistant at a nursing home. Hey, uh, my name is Marcus, and I am, when I get old, I'm 63. I almost said 65. Not quite there yet, (laughs) but... uh, uh, my first job was, I think I was 13 as well, and it was uh, bagging and stocking groceries. My name is D. Jameer, um, and I'm 36, and my first job at 16 was a, um, I guess you'd call it an electronics associate at Kmart. Thank you, everyone. And I'm Crystal. I'm 35, and my first job at 12 years old was babysitting and labor on the farm. Actually, the labor on the farm started at a much younger age. (laughs) So in asking everybody what their first job was, it gets us to the core of who we are as Americans, right? We are our jobs, or so we're told. We all get asked upon meeting, what do you do? What is your job? So the question I pose to the panel here to begin, is our job or what we do, our career, our worth, what we're worth? I don't know how you can't associate at least part of your human value to to what you do, especially because I think most people probably when they start out as children and in their dreams has to do with something that they want to do with their lives you know, something meaningful before real life sets in and they have to make the choices other than, you know, their dreams. Mm -hmm. So I think just by the nature of that desire to do something meaningful with your life, just naturally you associate your worth with your job. When I first started working, my value uh, from my perspective was pretty high because I'm helping my dad at 16 provide for a family. So I felt like I had a lot of worth, right? Is it the same perceived value or worth from other people looking at me from the outside? I work for healthcare. I work in IT, and I feel really proud at what I'm doing, right? And I think that has a value. 
Working at a young age can have a lot of very positive reinforcements in terms of gaining pride, gaining independence, gaining financial stability in some regions, especially if you're providing for you know a higher source like your family. But a lot of times I think that being forced into the workforce at a young age when there are other aspirations, other parts of life that you'd like to discover and maybe you will be amazing at them at a young age, putting those things on the back burner to serve in the workforce can sometimes feel like your worth is going down. So definitely it takes a perspective shift there where you're working towards a common and greater good for a lot of people, it feels like they're working to to aid a greater good that they don't get to be a part of. And I think that was a little bit of my experience working so young, starting my first job at around 15 or 16. And I think that some of those morales and work ethics have stuck with me through later positions, later professional positions. And I think it shapes how I feel about jobs going in and how I feel about them down the road. I'm going to answer your question with a question. Um, so imagine you had a, a surgeon. He spent a lot of time and money going to school, and he earned his medical degree, and he saves lives on a regular basis. But as far as a human being goes, he treats the people around him poorly. The people that work with him, his family, he's not necessarily a good guy, but he does save lives. And then you've got um, Joe Blow, who barely got out of high school and is working at the Dairy Queen and... He works hard every day, but he didn't put any money into school. He didn't put effort into school. He's not saving anybody's life, but he's a good person. And he's kind to the people he sees. And every, everybody that walks in and gets waited on him is in a better mood when they leave, feels better about their life, feels better about the world. The people that work with him and for him are happy. Who has more value? I'm going with the guy with the soft serve myself <laughs> every time. I think that brings up a really interesting idea of uh, perception. Definitely something I've been able to wrap my head around starting young and being young currently is that it's completely about how you perceive things. And when things are presented in a negative way, they can take a lot of negative connotations and that can sort of burrow and seed and carry you further on and sometimes help you move out of the current situation and out of your desperate situation into a better one. But it makes me wonder if if I had changed my perception, would I have been happier in that situation? If people had had created a, created a positive environment for me, if my coworkers and I had melded in a better situation, if the customers I had engaged with had been pleasant, would I have been happy with this contentment or would I have still wanted more? Yeah, Cassie, so that makes me think about the value uh, in a few different ways, right? We do have value monetarily in this country. And what I'm hearing from Amy is that, yes, and there's this human value too. Are we paying attention to it? And so, Cassie, you bring up that that beautiful point of um, the atmospheres that we're in and the ability to be human in these spaces. When I think about that, I also, it brings me to think about our wages and how we do pay these really great guys who are working at Dairy Queen and serving the soft serve because they need to provide for their families. They might, you know, Joe Blow has a family at home and he's got two kids and he wants his kids to do better than he did because that's what every parent really wants. So Joe Blow goes to this Dairy Queen every day to pay these bills. He's a great person and 
He is struggling to be able to pay these bills on a daily basis just because of the wages that he's making at Dairy Queen. Now, absolutely, he didn't go to college. He didn't go through all of the training that that surgeon needed to go through in order to save lives. But he still has these basic human needs. He still has a family to provide for. The question then becomes, how do we value this person? And how do we start to see the humanity in these people who are working in jobs that don't pay the same amount as this asshole who is the surgeon, right? And not to say by any stretch of the imagination they should be paid the same. Like, let's nobody go there. Of course. Um, you know, you you go to school, you, get, you should be, uh, you know, uh, compensated for that. But what we don't ever seem to compensate for anymore in this culture is just basic humanity. I guess what we've lost track of is that... We have wage stagnation in our country. We are the most productive we've ever been in society, in in American society, and yet we haven't risen the the federal minimum wage in a decade. We haven't addressed the needs, the health care needs, the education needs, um, the disability needs for those folks who are still working their asses off to be able to provide everything that, that we're creating here in the United States. And that's got to count for something. How, how do we um, take care of that? And, and I guess what I'm really getting at is, where is that basic human value? How do we ensure that um, people are able to survive in this country when there isn't that value placed on them? And, and how can we start to look at that differently? It's interesting oh, what you're saying there, because it sounds like we're placing value on whether or not someone can provide um, or, yeah, can basically service the need of survival, right? So... If you can provide multiple ways or an ability for someone to survive uh, efficiently, then you are of a valued nature in society. So you're more valued than someone else. But it does go back to what Amy's talking about, the person that's working behind that counter that's you know very timid or whatever. We don't know what that person does at home, right? Uh, do they study um, chemistry? Do they study the human body? Do they have a fascination with health? Right. Um, and we're going to miss out on that person's contribution by not valuing them because we're valuing someone else that has the ability to or give us the impression that they're helping us all survive. Right. I don't know. Does anyone feel like that's kind of where we're at now where, you know, if I'm a, a big businessman and, you know, I'm doing really well and I, my business is doing well, I'm giving the impression that I'm creating jobs and that I'm creating value because, with what I'm doing, everyone can survive and have a job, right? So, I think the illusion of safety has become so monetized that you pay and you pay and you pay to be safer and safer, but that's not what that's not what actually creates that safety. It's coming together. It's understanding that people can be different and they can still be okay. That's the real safety that we need to find. And this illusion that we can buy it causes these corporations to disguise themselves as saviors. And if you can pay enough money, then you can have it too. But what does that say for people who have nothing, who can't even pay their bills? They don't ever get to have the simple freedoms of an American because they can't afford this illusion. It's upsetting. Such wise words from such a young, young woman. (laughs) 
you come out of school oftentimes very very um, unskilled uh, as far as life skills go. You don't don't know how to have a checkbook, don't know how to get a job, don't know how to pay your rent, all those kinds of things. And the first thing you have to do is get a job. Now, if you're lucky, you had parents or a school counselor or somebody that helps you figure out what your uh, aptitudes are, what you enjoy, what you're good at, and help you build that. But most people don't. Most people come out of high school with nothing, and they're just like, oh, crap, i got to get a job. And they get some job, and they get stuck there. Or if they're lucky, they move their way up the ladder. So you have those people who either haven't had the opportunity to move up the ladder or haven't, and then you have those people that have. And in our culture, we have come to a place where they're almost like enemies. And like you were asking, what happens when they come to the crossroads? What happens with the, the, the white collar versus the blue collar? What happens with the, the kid that works the counter and, and the old man that opens the business? Are we as human beings going to be able to look at each other regardless of what our job is and see the humanity in each other? How do we then have these conversations with other people who are still trying to do the same, but they have totally different values, totally different background. And and what does that look like? Yeah. How, how do you get the paramedic who's, not, who's getting paid maybe $15 an hour not to be pissed that we're asking that the people at McDonald's get paid $15 an hour? And at the same time, shouldn't the para- to me, shouldn't the paramedic get paid more? More than the 15, not just more than the McDonald's worker, but like, isn't that worth more? When you're in trouble and someone's coming to save your life, aren't they worth more than 15 bucks an hour? Well, certainly it seems that our whole pay scale is whacked out. You know, I mean, what we, um, nothing against anybody who has special skills, whether they be actors or athletes. Uh, but I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm, I don't, there's not a human being on the planet worth $25 billion or whatever. It's, it's just, that's insane. That's just insane. In business, it, it comes down to a business decision. Uh, workers are considered an expense in business. And so for those making decisions about, let's say, the compensation package for our new analyst, they look at the, the workers. What, how much work can we get out of this worker, um, let's say, per hour or per day? And so there's calculations that are made to understand how much can we actually afford so that we can still make our profits and how much is this person worth with their education, with their experience. And, and so often there is a, a negotiation that happens, but there's also a baseline. And so when it comes to business, it's laid out, and it's never valued specifically on the human being in front of you or the person in front of you. It also has to play into how much money are we making? If we're making wingdings, 10 cents each that we're making, and we're only making 100 of them an hour, that's a different value than somebody who's making Porsche cars, and they're making three of those Porsche cars that can be sold at you know $100,000 we're going to perceive their value differently, right? That Porsche person is going to get more money because his perceived value is different, and yet they could be making the same wingdings for just different vehicles, right? I want to go back to the cross-world statement. I feel like, and thank goodness for uh, living in the United States of America because we have freedom of speech, right? So now that we're using this freedom of speech, we can start to talk about these crossroads, and one of them is how much we're making. So if I'm making a certain amount and I start talking to someone that's making the same and they're like, well, I'm doing the same job as you, but my value is less. How is that possible? Right. That's something that uh, we had time to reflect on. 
and come to a crossroads and try to understand what's the difference between us and our value. Um, and then going to your point regarding um, the socioeconomic uh, status of where you're at and whether or not you're valued in society, it's, it's almost like this is created for us. By who? Right? So uh, that Porsche maker, why, why, why is Porsche valued more here? Right? Uh, is it valued the same where I'm from in Haiti? Right? Can I drive a Porsche on the dirt roads? Right? You know, if we take it that market there, will it grow that much? Is it the people that's creating the value, uh, that need driving that demand? Or is it something else? I mean, I feel that it's the people. I feel it's completely personally driven by greed, by the need to feel that you have everything, I suppose. Well, I should get paid more because, you know, I drive an ambulance and they shouldn't get paid as much as I do. So as long as we're fighting amongst each other, we can't fight the person who's actually making these changes. Wow. Again, from the youngest person in the room. Then that, that gives me hope, right? Because it seems like when we come to these crossroads, we come to the crossroads with judgment. And that's where that, I, honestly, when someone asks me, what do you do uh, when they first meet me? At first, I think it's just a conversation uh, starter or whatever. And maybe it is. It's innocent, right? But I feel like at that crossroads when, you know, you're kind of reflecting on what your value is, it gets to a point where you're judging that person, right? Because now you have to judge whether or not you're worth more than mm-hmm. that person. And then that kind of, di- I guess, directs where the conversation is going to go. Well, that that's interesting. That, that Dijamira mentioned like the first, at least among men, I don't know if it's among women, but the guys always, first thing is, what do you do, right? And, and it makes sense because we're gathering information about the person we're encountering. And of course, that's the first sensible thing we're going to ask. But we can't help but make some sort of judgment on the person. But for, and I don't know that that's necessarily right or wrong, you know, because um, I, if I were a doctor, I would be happy to say I'm a doctor who saves lives. Uh, but really, what do you, what do you, that's, do you, do you feel like that's true? Like you? Oh, I'll give you a quick yeah. example. Yeah. I've, um, I was at a social uh, gathering with a good friend of mine. And um, everybody's all polite and happy and nice and kind and equal and all the things. And asking everybody what they did. And when they got to her, she's a housekeeper. She owns her own housekeeping building business. And um, they changed how they treated her. Interesting. And she works her ass off. She's built up a, a very successful business. But the minute housekeeper came out of her mouth, a good portion of the people there treated her differently. And I no don't kidding. think it was consciously necessarily. They were, you know, but... It was a thing. I'd have been asking for her card. (laughs) (laughs) Like you said, I don't even think that they even realized there was a shift in the way that they treated or spoke to that person. And I think that tends to be a lot of the struggle that we find now in our current, you know, sociopolitical climate, in how we treat each other, in terms of we're changing in gender politics, we're changing in terms of how free we can be as individuals and express that with everyone, not just feel like that's just for us. I think that that really threatens what people are used to. And the fact that they just do it subconsciously is, it just tells us the issue that we've actually really created for ourselves. And that division itself I think that's what's. Do you guys feel like that's what's being used against us? Absolutely, without question. Keeping us divided in little separate groups is what keeps us from coming together and taking back the power of of the country. Yeah, absolutely. 
I have a big question. So who is they? Mm. Who's doing that to us? Mm. Mm. Who's who's the power that's uh, <laughs> yeah? The big money, the people that have the most money, that um, and now the legal slavery slavery that we have today in the in the non living wage. But that's one of the worst gaps that I think we've seen as an entire country is the total, total lack of understanding of how, you know, just awful and racist our entire system has kind of ended up being. And that comes a lot to down to our foundations and people needed to make money. So they used people as a workforce. And I don't think that that shift has ever happened in a positive way. I think it's continued to be buried down into a place where it just feels that that's the way it is. So why why test it? That's the way we do it. And I think that the people at top, the they, they're not the Donald Trumps. They're not the tw- the tweeters. They're not the people who are making their, their grievances public. They're the people who you probably don't know their names in. It would probably be really hard to find it if you Googled it because they want to be hidden. They want to keep doing what they're doing. And they don't want to be known because if we have a face and we if we have a name, then we have someone to essentially overthrow, and they don't want that to happen. I, a couple of things. I, I and uh, and I mean this with um, compassion. It's it's uh, hard to uh, not hard to hear, but it is enlightening and and sort of it's kind of sad to hear young people this cynical. This early, you know, I, I think the whole, I guess, argument about what matters and what doesn't matter, and the fact that we all have our own grievances, right? So those grievances are being used to divide us when we all have real-world issues that we're facing, and some of us, our safety and well-being is at stake, and society turned a blind eye to that. Um, when we saw back in the my opinion, the barbaric days where a, a woman was being mistreated and we turned a blind eye to that. Um, being a, a black person, being from the so-called hood um, and having to make tough decisions about family and survival and things of that sort, I have grievances, right? But that those grievances aren't real for someone else's and, and their own experiences. But I feel like when we come at those crossroads and have these conversations, there's definitely a lot of judgment there. Of course there's judgment because we all have those grievances, right? And and again, just coming back to where we are, we are sped up. Everything is moving so quickly and we have bills to pay and it seems like the bills keep increasing. And yet again, we're not getting paid any more than we were a year ago, two years ago. So we're still making the same amount of money, but we now have more bills. Um, we all have these grievances When we are trying to survive, when we hear somebody else say, you know, life is shit, (laughs) it sucks right now. Our first thing is to think, no, you don't even have a clue. You don't know what's going on. My life is shit, right? And so in that, it can be where we meet at that crossroads and I say, ooh, Amy, I get it. You and I, we have the same grievance. Now now I have a, a friend in this grievance. But when I look across the table and I see Dijmir and his skin looks different than mine, then I think this dude doesn't have a clue because I had some preconceived notions of what that meant for him to look different. He clearly grew up somehow differently than me. He has a different life path. So I've judged that. And it's when we're in that space of that judgment that we continue to the division. We have a choice. We, we don't have to go down that division. But the system is hardwired in us that we grew up in these environments and we grew up a particular way, learning a particular thing about all groups of people. 
our minds, and it is part of our evolutionary traits, is that when we are able to judge something, we know if we're safe or not. It's good. It's good to have these judgments. And put that shit in overdrive, and it's really not helpful. It continues to divide and to conquer us when we allow that, that natural judgment to take over and to, to continue. It seems like all of these small little seeds get so planted that we grow our own forest, and sometimes it can be gorgeous and open and full of air, and sometimes the trees just grow and die. And how do we bridge those gaps? How do we open the conversation? How do we meet people who are scared of us and say, what are you so scared of? They are using fear, and we are not aware enough to have the intellect and the ability to use what I know to try to see through that fear. It, it's, a, it's a very difficult thing, but I think that we're, we're all collectively getting to that point because of what we're seeing, right? And how does that tie down, tie back to jobs? Uh, jobs, they perpetuate that fear, right? They don't want you talking about how much you make because once that's a crossroad, right? What we just missed is that it all stemmed from fear. Uh, fear that we're not going to be able to survive. Um, and the fact that that's the fear that they can use um, to keep us not talking they again, right? The ones that are in charge, the ones that wind up the clock, but we keep it going. We have to partake. We have to become more aware. We have to basically be participating in our own society, in our own democracy. Because if you don't, they, the proverbial they, will use your efforts, will use your fear, will use your division to control you. So let me ask this question then. What happens when we all realize that we are all Americans? What happens to the they? Um, when we can get beyond that fear, we start to see the bigger picture. So how can we find that common ground in those arguments and at that crossroads is what we've really been talking about, right? Well, I think one of the ways we can let go of some of that fear is to realize that, again, the proverbial they has convinced us that um, resources are limited. And yes, clean water, blah, there are things that are limited. I'm not going to say there's not, but there really is enough for everybody to live well. There's enough food, there's enough everything for us all to live well. And when we can remember that, that we're, not, we're no longer in competition for everything, then we don't have to be quite so afraid that you might get more or make more or that my, be afraid that my pain isn't as valued as your pain or whatever weird emotional things we do. There's enough. The, to, to me, that's the first step is for everyone to start to really see there's enough. You've touched on something there, Amy, because those resources, is, I, I believe in my opinion, is what these they are holding hostage to assign these values, right? Because when you're tied to those resources and a job or some kind of role is tied to it, that immediately becomes the highest value thing. Well, absolutely. Just just the fact that we have silos full of grain in our country rotting because they can't get the price they want and there are people starving. There's enough. It's a twisted kind of version of reality that we all kind of accept now. Mm -hmm. And now we're so far deep in that we see the problem and we see how harmful it's become. But what do we do about it? How do we get ourselves out? 
you know, we're at a place now where we have abundance in some areas and we have this technology that can do some amazing and wonderful things for us. We've got so many great inventors and people who have found cures to diseases and so much to offer to our nation. And yet we are still stuck in this place of the fear. Um, because, you know, as humans evolve, and I've talked about this before, our jobs evolve. The needs of a community evolve as the people evolve. And so now with technology um, being able to do some stuff for us, do we still need to do the same work or does the work look different? And at what point did we decide that if you're not putting in at least 40 hours a week of work, you're not really a real contributing member of society. Is that really, with all the technology we have, all the abundance we have, is that really what we want for our society? Or wouldn't we rather use the technology that we have and allow ourselves as human beings to flourish in other ways? Something just occurred to me. I'm, I understand today that we are more driven than ever. There are some of us that don't know how to relax, that don't know how to take time off, that work by their own volition, you know? I mean, now, is that coming from? I think we have an incessant need to be productive. I think that production is what's ingrained with us in terms of, you know, determining value. And production became synonymous with finances, became synonymous with self-worth, I believe, in a lot of ways. But it's so ingrained in me that even now, I mean, I have such a hard time relaxing because I feel selfish. Realistically, I also know that I have to keep a roof over my head. So how do I find the balance and how do we all help each other find the balance more so? You know, Marcus posed the question of where that came from, right? I, I want to take the time to thank the baby boomers and the people that uh, fostered the industrial age, right? Because that's where that came from, that hard work we have to accomplish something, right? Or we're not being productive members of society. And also, we can also take a look at what they were doing back then. There was wars happening. Um, safety was at risk. The American way of life that we fought for was at risk. So if you didn't work hard, that may not be there for you tomorrow. But are we still in that situation today? Or is someone creating that illusion that we are? Um, or is it just that our predecessors are stuck in a, a loop, if you will, where they're thinking that their survival is at stake and we need to keep working so hard in 40 hours, 40 hours, where, no, we have innovated enough. Um, you've, you've passed down the responsibility to the next generation, and we've fostered in technology. We used our intellect uh, to create a better life, uh, so this way the human being wouldn't have to work so hard. But yet there is still some kind of demand for that, and, and that's where I'm confused. Like, why is that demand still so great when we're no longer living in those industrial ages. And, we're, and remember, we're talking about jobs here and wages, right? This is the, in my opinion, what's driving all that. You know, we had the values from the baby boomers ages. And, and it seems like, uh, especially with our current administration, that they're trying to keep those values and instill them in the next generation when it clearly doesn't match. I, I think that that it's a lot of it's habitual. We're locked in to the basic belief that in the American dream, if you work hard, you can have what you want. And it used to be much more true than it is now, but, but it's still, it's in our psyche. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's in our psyche. It's, we can't escape it. If you work hard, you can, your dreams can come true. You can get what you want. And because it's not true, we just keep thinking we're not working hard enough. It's, it's prevalent in anything that we do. If you're not paying attention and you're not involved and just letting things kind of just 
you know, go along, yeah, you can be exploited. You will be taken advantage of. Um, this is why I'm doing this curriculum, because when we are not aware of the history, when we're not aware of who the they is and, and what the hands are moving, then we don't know how to help ourselves. Knowledge is power. And, and when we do start to meet at these crossroads and have these conversations and really start to understand first ourselves and our personal needs and then start to understand the needs of the community around us, then we can have productive change, right? It's, we're still going on 10 years strong with no federal uh, minimum wage increase. So we got time to do better. We can do better right now. Um, and, and of course, there are great organizations who are doing the humanitarian work, who are making sure that human lives are valued. And I will always come back to this. Our United States government has a responsibility to the lives of the American people. Because without us, what would they have? A bunch of land? Maybe not even that, because I hear that somebody else may own some of our land or a lot of our land, right? So if they're not responsible to the people, who are they responsible to? You know, it it makes me think of a a very quick story. Well, just a a generalization of my life. (laughs) I have been somebody who has always stepped outside of my comfort zone. And from the very beginning. As a child, I was curious about things that I didn't know about. I was curious about people who I didn't know about or people who didn't look like me. And so as I became an adult, I began to expand my horizons and I began to hang out with folks who didn't look like me, people I had never met before, predominantly African-American folks in Champaign-Urbana in my teenage years and, and getting to know them getting to know them and and their community and and who they were, what they were all about, going into the military and meeting people from across our country and even other areas outside of our country, people who came here and are willing to do that hard work because they wanted to be American, being invited into the Latino community and being invited into people's homes to care for their children of Pakistani descent and Israeli descent and Indian descent. And and so having met people from all of these different backgrounds, hanging out with folks in the hood with no high school diploma, hanging out in gated communities with people with their PhDs who are doctors. And across all of these lines, we all have so very much in common. And what I found by them welcoming me in, because I knocked on their door, they didn't come looking for me, but because I knocked on their door, And they welcomed me into their community. I learned so very much about Americans. We all have those same needs, as Marcus was saying. We all just want to make sure that we have that security and stability. And we all want to be able to enjoy some time with our family. And again, our journeys are all the same, that we are born here. We have this journey where we do get sick, we do have illness, we, it's painful. Um, growth is the most painful thing there is, and yet we all experience it. Some of us resist against it, but we all experience it, and then we all die. So what we do with everything in between, it is up to us. We get to decide, and again, there's a responsibility in our American society, and I believe truly that we let go of that responsibility for a little too long. Your homework for the week is to meet those folks at the crossroads and ask them a question or get curious about who they are and their humanity.
knowing that we are all here as Americans. We could go and live in another country if we wanted to, but we chose to be here. So what are we going to do at these crossroads? We started this conversation with, what's your value? So I guess that's really where we should begin is to consider our own value. And, you know, how do I understand Crystal's value? Is it just the job that I have? Is it my character? Is it the relationships that I hold? Is it all of the stuff that I've accumulated? What is my value? So start to think about that. What is your value? Then I would ask you to consider, does my value mean more than somebody else's value? Does somebody else's value take away from my value? Because when we can understand that we all have value, it takes a little bit of that judgment out, and then, and then we can start to have progress in those conversations. Um, but begin to think about your value. This has been Fireside Chats with Crystal. Thank you for taking your precious time to invest in yourself, your community, and our country. Now go out there and shine, baby, shine. Our country needs us now more than ever. If you like what you heard, please check out the curriculum link and dive into more learning already live. Then head over to my website and donate to the cause. I'm offering my curriculum for free, so it's up to you to see the value in what I'm doing and support your girl along the way.